One man, one mission, to equip the Church of Jesus Christ in the power of the Holy Spirit and awaken the Church to the voice of the Spirit. David Cuppet brings to you the School of the Holy Spirit from one of his many missions from around the world, where he aligns with apostolic leaders to eradicate spiritual blindness and reveal the true authority of believers in Christ, to prophesy, heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. Open your heart and get ready to receive all that the Holy Spirit has for you in this week's session of the School of the Holy Spirit. School is in session. All right. Good day, everybody. Today I want to talk about uh, a couple of my favorite subjects, and that is the power um, of unity, um, overcoming powerlessness. Um, Powerlessness is something that is absolutely rampant in the church today. In fact, there's so many powerless people. There's actually so many powerless, full organizations, entire organizations that are absolutely powerless, that mainstream Christianity in America has accepted powerless as a normal thing. In fact, if if miracles are happening like they're supposed to, if demons are being cast out like they're supposed to, if prophecy is, is going because it's supposed to, as, as the Lord describes what would happen when His Spirit comes, or is present, rather, um, the, the presence of His Spirit should produce the supernatural, right? It is actually one of the evidences of the supernatural being present, or the presence of God being, being with us is, is, is probably a better way of saying that. But at the end of the day, um, unity is something that a lot of people don't correlate to either the reason for a powerful outpouring or... Um, you know, the lack of powerlessness. Um, At the end of the day, um, normal American Christianity accepts powerlessness. And I want to tell you that powerlessness is not normal in the kingdom. Everywhere Jesus went, the supernatural happened. And the reason why the supernatural happened with Jesus is not because of the scripture he knew. It was because the presence of the Holy Spirit upon him, right? Jesus, we, you've, you've heard me teach this a thousand times. Jesus went into prayer on a daily basis. He comes out of prayer. The presence of God is with him. And the evidence of the presence of God with him is that he's been directed. Go here. Do this. Go to the 5,000. Go to the woman at the well. He is always being directed by the voice of the Father. And where he goes, the presence is always with him. Okay, and that is why there's always confrontation with the darkness. In fact, there should always be confrontation with the dark, with the darkness, right? Um, and if you don't understand that concept, um, you know, at the be- at the very beginning of the story, the the light actually spoke into the darkness. It says that the Father hunted down the darkness. He spoke into it, and what was chaos was put in order. Creation from heaven was released on earth as the voice spoke into the darkness. And that pattern is the pattern of Jesus. It actually confounded the Pharisee. It confounded the the Sadducee and the religious people who tried to appear righteous because of what they knew. And they had no idea who the Spirit of God was or is. Okay? And 
that's that's the that's the majority of the church in America today. You can get through an entire church service and nothing supernatural happen. In fact, you actually are taught to rate the service based on how articulate the worship was, um, how articulate the pastor was, uh, and how you feel. Um, and at the end of the day, that's that's really not the evidence okay the presence of where the presence of god is there will be miracles there will be an outpouring of the spirit there will be lives changed there will be people saved there will be people healed right and we have got to overcome the the lies of somehow you can be christian yet at the same time be powerless you powerless and christian should never be in the same sentence and so i want to start out this episode telling you a story of something that happened um, in India. Uh, I may have shared this. um, I I know I shared this uh, when I was in Clearwater, Florida a few weeks ago, um, but I want to share it again. I don't think I've talked a lot about it over the last few years, Um, but it's an important story because it articulates um, nothing but the presence of the Lord, okay? And so, um, in this story, I'm going to tell you, um, it was, uh, I believe it was 2017. Um, uh, it was a, it was a day service. Um, we, we pulled up to this church. We get out of, of the car. We walk into, uh, the church. And, um, when I walked into the church, it was, it was a small, small little church, um, in, uh, I believe it was, uh, Chennai, India, um, we walked into this little church, about a hundred people. And I, when I walked in, there was a woman, um, on my left, as I was walking down the aisle, she looked at me, I looked at her and she fell down and she started to cry. Okay. And so I'm like, what the heck, you know, what, what is really going on? Right. And, uh, as she, she's, you know, I, I we're walking up toward the stage, um, because they were whisking me in, they wanted to get me on stage immediately. I had, you know, I had just come from a church. We were, we had other churches we were going to, and um, anyway, so they they get me in, uh, you know, get me up on the stage, and I, as soon as, um, as soon as I stand up in the into the pulpit, and I am about to speak. The woman that I connected eye to eye with, and she fell to she fell to the ground when I walked in the door. Um, suddenly, she stands up off the ground and she begins praying in tongues, and she's weeping and praying in tongues. Tears are running down her face. Okay, people around her one by one start praying in tongues. Okay, pretty soon the whole congregation, literally a hundred people, roughly a hundred people start praying in tongues and the pastor that was supposed it was his church he's supposed to be introducing me he starts he literally he's crying he's trembling he falls down he's on the he's on the stage he's weeping he's crying i'm looking at my the you know my interpreter the guy who uh you know driving me around the city and everything and um you know you know i'm asking him what's going on and you know what what the heck? And, you know, we're, we're just letting this go because it's, it literally is an obvious outpour. Like people are, you know, they're falling down, they're on their hands and face, they're, they're praying in tongues, they're weeping, their hands are up in the air, they're, they're crying out to the Lord. And this goes on for quite some time. Um, I don't know, 20, 30 minutes. Um, 
and uh, the pastor of the church gathers himself, um, and he stands up, and he starts to speak in English, and he begins telling me, he, 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 the, the church quiets down, and he starts telling me that nobody in the church until t- today um, prayed in the Spirit. Nobody prayed in tongues, but they had been searching for it. They, they, had, uh, they had separated themselves from um, a non-Holy Spirit theology, and this group of people were chasing God. They literally were hunting down the Lord and everything He had for them. And um, this pastor said, we had been praying. We want the gifts of the Spirit. We want to pray in tongues. We want everything the Bible says. Um, and so he brings up the woman that I connected eye to eye with when I walked in the door, the one that fell to the ground, um, and the first one that stood up praying in tongues. Um and she she begins to tell tell uh, her side of the story about the whole congregation now being able to pray in tongues. And she says she says when you walked through the door and you looked at me and I knew it was like you were looking through me. She says she says that uh, I saw a hand of fire come out of your body and touch me. And when it touched me, that's when I fell to the ground. And I started to pray in tongues. Um, and so, you know, that story, like this whole thing, I mean, it they went on, people testifying. I never prayed in tongues. I wanted to pray in tongues. Today's the first time I prayed in tongues. And and um, people wonder, like, how, how does that happen? You didn't even preach. Aren't you supposed to preach? And then miracles happen? Um, well, you know, <laughs> my answer to that is, um, every miracle is different. Every situation is different. Um, and the Lord sends me all over the place to get people baptized in the Holy Ghost. It's what I do. When I, when I call people out of the audience that you don't pray in tongues, instantly you pray in tongues. Um, standing in front of crowds of, of three, four plus thousand people um, and an altar call of over a thousand, two thousand people, and they all are up praying in tongues. Why is it? Because that's what I'm called to do. That's what I'm equipped to do. Um, but more importantly, I go where he sends me, and where he sends me, he is present. And that's the that's the one thing I want to emphasize today. And, and you know, the fact that this woman had a vision, right? She doesn't flow in any gifts of the Spirit. She doesn't have visions. She doesn't have dreams. But as I walked through the door, her the eyes of her heart, her spirit were opened, right? She, she could actually perceive spiritually that I was going to impart something to her. And she, when she looked at me and I looked at her, that's all it took. It didn't require a preaching session. It actually required the presence of God. And I want to emphasize today, guys, that it's about the presence of God. Um, everything is about, is the presence of God with you? Is the Holy Spirit resting on you? Is the Holy Spirit leading you? Is the Holy Spirit guiding you? Because if he's guiding you, sending you, telling you where to go, he will do the work. Whether you preach for five hours, whether you preach for two minutes, whether you walk in a room and stand on a stage about to preach, but the Lord decides, I, I've already preached. I've opened that woman's heart. And not only did I open her heart, I opened the heart of this church. And now they all are given the gift of the Spirit. Okay? 
And so, um, I mean, this church is on fire. They're weeping. They're crying. I spent the next couple hours prophesying over people and, and equipping people with the gift of prophecy and, and the impartation of, of uh, words of knowledge. And, and, you know, just, I mean, the pastor of this church was ecstatic because they were fearful of breaking away from their powerless religion. But at the same time, they knew their powerless form of Christianity could not be the real thing because there were there was no evidence there was no miracle there was no difference between the the 99 percent hindu population that surrounded them right they the, the ones who worship the elephant god the snake god um worship the rocks worship whatever right that's what hinduism is they worship everything powerless forms of christianity are no different than that right because there's no evidence god if god is present the supernatural happens, which is the difference between God present and God not present, right? Worshiping the, the uh, monkey god in Hinduism is the same thing as going into powerlessness, a powerless form of quote-unquote Christianity where all you have to do is go to an altar, say say you do, and, and you're good, right? Well, that's not really true. The evidence, Jesus says, um, the evidence is if I know you. Meaning you walk, you talk with him, you walk with him, you relate to him. He actually uh, is carried where you walk by you. You are the carrier of the presence of God. Amen. And so it's what you carry, guys, who you dwell with, not what you know. Okay, let me say it again. It's, it's what you carry. Do you carry God himself? Who, who do you dwell with, right? Is the presence of God upon you? Are you? Do you run into the presence of the Lord? It's not what you know, okay? It's who you know. If you know Him, you know all things because you develop trust, meaning that He will reveal to you in time and need and under His command, under His direction, He will speak, He will give, He will take away, He will move you back, He will move you three steps forward, He will move you to the left, He'll move you to the right. That's called trust, right? Right? Okay, that's, that's trust. And, you know, the psalmist, David, David said it this way, I dwell in a secret place in the Most High and under the shadow of the Almighty, right? I save the Lord. You are my refuge and my presence, my God in whom I trust. He's talking about knowing Him. All of Psalm 91 is about no matter how dark it is that you know God, you, you dwell in His presence, you will not fear. You decide with your heart not to fear despite maybe feeling fear all around you. But... Because you know the Lord, the Lord promised to avenge you. He will um, take vengeance upon your enemies, right? Ver, ver, 91 verse 7 talks about, Only with my eyes shall I see my Father's vengeance. Meaning that you trust the one who has vowed to be with you, to go before you and make a way, to be your rear guard, and to be an enemy to your enemies, right? Psalm 23 is about the table of communion, right? In, even in the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, right? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table for me in the presence of my enemies. So it's about the presence. Psalm 27, 4, the one thing I desire is to be in the presence of God, to dwell in his house, right? And so, you know, this concept of, of the presence of God is really 
um, what the what the father was revealing to David. If you go back to the story of King David, what made David a warrior was the presence of God, right? the The father wasn't visiting the religious guys. He wasn't he wasn't visiting um, those uh, in the tabernacle, right? Because the presence had departed. He was he was visiting David. Um, in caves. He was visiting David who made his heart available to the Lord in caves in the darkest place of the earth. While he was running in the desert, David was being visited by the presence of God. And over the years, David's trust in the presence of God is what equipped him to overcome the giant, to overcome uh, Saul chasing him through the through the mountains and the desert overcame the Philistines overcame all things because the presence of God was with David and the presence of God is what defeated David's enemies okay and so this goes back to this goes back to the promise of the father to David right David um, had the oil poured over him by the prophet right. Um, and David immediately started to have he, he, his supplication, his prayer life, his prayer language um, drew the presence of the Lord. And it was in the presence of the Lord that the Lord fell in love with David because David was falling in love with the Lord. David's heart was set on God, right? And this is a hard thing for the religious people to wrap their mind around because even though David killed people, even though David did some bad things with Bathsheba, even though David made some, some pretty hefty mistakes, David's heart was always for God. He always chased him and valued the presence of the Lord, right? And so the religious folk get all confounded when you bring people to the revelation that the, the promise of Jesus Christ's coming would be through David, okay? Well, what do you mean? What, how, how in the world could Jesus Christ come through David? David was a heathen and a scoundrel. Yeah, but here's the deal, guys. David's heart was set on God. David's heart, with his heart, he chased the Lord. And the the thing that David valued the most was the presence of God. Right? And so, um, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, again, we've reviewed this uh, to some degree, uh, but I want to emphasize this. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, um, you know, David, David says, David looks around and says, hey, um, you know, God does not have a place to rest. He does not have a, a ta- he, he, he lives in a tent, right? Um, he, you know, David, David has Zion formed at this point and they worship God 24-7. And so God is always present on Zion, right? That's why the, that's why the father is always referencing Mount Zion and David in, in the scriptures, because that's where God is present. He, that's where 24-hour worship, 24-hour prophecy, 24-hour psalms, um, that's where they worshiped on Mount Zion. And because David David was interested in God having a, a house, right, a place um, of rest, um, the father turned um, and, and uh, you know, he awakened the prophet um, and and said go go tell he yeah he awakened to prophet Nathan and said go tell David um, that he'll not build me a house but I will make him my house. Do you catch that? I mean this is the beginning of of God taking up residence in the hearts of men because David 
David was the first heart on earth to prepare a place for him. That's how powerful the specific oil that was poured over David was. The oil of the Holy Ghost that was poured over David created a place for God himself to rest, right? And so out of this relationship birthed um, the Father's promise to David, right? This is called the Salt Covenant. It, it, it's, the, it's the fact that the Father promised that I will take residence up with you. You will be my house, number one. Number two is your descendants will, will sit on thrones, meaning that he has a plan for multiplication and the future of your bloodline. And number three, um, the Father said that I will be an enemy to your enemies and an adversary to your adversaries, right? That, that means that nothing could defeat David. David would never lose a battle again. Amen. Amen. So, you know, the promise of, of Jesus coming as the son of David is significant because God chose not to have his son come through the religious scriptural positioning, okay? He came through those who would house his presence, okay? So when, when, when the father says that uh, David's lineage would be the birthing of the son of God, Right, the, the in, in Amos nine eleven, um, it talks about the Father saying that I will restore the tabernacle of David that has fallen down. What is that? The tabernacle of David is David's heart. David David carried the presence of the Lord, and the Lord was promising through the coming of Christ that all men who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who have the oil of the of the presence of God on them. Right would carry them, and you have the opportunity to grow in the presence of the Lord. You can actually increase the weight, the the kingdom that rests upon you. How? Because you be you. The more you know Him, the more you rely on Him, the more you spend your time conscious of His presence, and meaning that what He's talking to you about. And the questions and answers that you go back and forth with, that's what a relationship is. And the more you know him, the more you get to release him because you are conscious of carrying him. Did you get that? The more you know him, the more you get to walk into places being aware of what he wants to do because you're sensitive to what he's saying. You are conscious of him. You are conscious of his voice. You are carrying his presence. And that's what that's what the, the power of the presence of God is, okay? It has nothing to do with how much you know. You can know you can know all of the world encyclopedias. But the only way you know what's applicable in the in the particular moment you're in is if you know the one who speaks. All that, that, that's all earthly, worldly knowledge. Having an awareness of, you know, what the Bible said, all these extra books, the book of Jasher, the book of Enoch, you know, all these uh, different religious texts. Those are all good to understand, right? Because it develops your perspective. It helps you gain the right perspective. But that doesn't save you. 
the more knowledge you gain doesn't save you. Okay, the more knowledge you gain actually makes you more sensitive. It should make you more accountable to the fact that, oh my gosh, this thing is so much bigger than me. Um, the world stage, uh, what the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness are, um, who really rules this world. I mean, you can go down all kind of rabbit holes. Um, but at the end of the day, the more you realize how Satan and the demonic forces are designing this world to eat you alive, the more you must realize that you must become dependent on knowing the voice of the Lord, okay? And I'm not going to get into the gift of tongues here today. I've done that enough. Uh, I've emphasized that enough. I've taught you guys a whole lot about your prayer life and relying on the gift of tongues to draw the Father to speak to you, but that's how you practice the presence of God, okay? Practicing the presence of God is a supplication process. It's a heart cry of sons and daughters crying out for the presence of the Lord. Okay? And when you when you submit yourself to the presence of God, you give place to the to to the Christ, to the anointing. The word Christ means the anointing, right? And so the oil that is connected to that was poured over David symbolizing David as David went into the caves, as David went, uh, you know, running from Saul and spent time in prayer, hours in prayer, right? Hours in supplication. That's how they developed Zion and people prophesying and, and singing in the Psalms because they, were, they, beca- they all became so sensitive to the oil, meaning the anointing that was upon them, okay? And so Jesus... When, when, when Jesus w- was raised from the dead and he sent the Holy Spirit, he, to- he told everybody, he told the disciples, in particular in the 120 that ended up in the upper room, do not leave this city until I send the wind. The wind is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, right? It means it actually means to, to be um, made to, to have the breath of God, the life of God come into you, right? So there's there's this there's this oil, that there's this anointing that comes upon you. And you have a choice at that moment. Okay? You have a choice to submit yourself to the way of the Spirit or to or to continue in powerless dead religion. Powerless dead religion is a is a deadly, deadly thing. Powerless dead religion will um, deceive you into into trusting, well, you just go to church on Sunday you check the box, you go through the routines, you argue with the pastor whether or not you like it, whether or not you don't like it, and all the while, you are never sensitive to the presence of the Lord. Okay, that, that's, that, describes, that describes powerlessness in a nutshell. Because if the presence of God is with you, um, the opposite is going to happen. He's always going to be directing you. He's always going to be speaking to you. And the weapons of God will pick fights with the demonic realm, right? You will cast out devils. You will heal the sick. You will raise the dead. You will um, judge according to what the Lord is saying and not to what the world is saying, okay? And so those are acts of judgment. We'll get to that in a minute, okay? But, you know, the, 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 uh, the authority that was given to Christ was prophesied in Isaiah 22, 22. It says that the key of David will rest upon his shoulder. Well, what is the key of David? The key of David is the authority God gives to those who hear him and execute the vision. Okay? Jesus, when he went into prayer, was executing the vision of God. Okay? 
the authority that rested upon Jesus' shoulder uh, that was prophesied in Isaiah 22.22, Jesus practiced this authority on a daily basis. Okay? He goes into prayer. He gets a vision from the Lord. He comes out. He says, all right, guys, we're going. We're, we're, we're going to uh, deliver the demonized man chained to the tombs on the other side of the lake. Right? Okay? Um, that's functioning under authority. That he's getting a vision and he's sent. So when he gets a vision and he's sent, who's he carrying? He's not, he's not working the miracle because he is the son of God. He's working the miracle because he's under authority. Okay? And you may say those are synonymous. Those are one and the same. That's not really, that's not really true. Okay? Okay? You can, you can get baptized in the Holy Spirit. You can, you can, um, you can uh, be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can be, even be awakened in the gifts of the Spirit. And one day you decide out of your own compassion for a person, you begin to pray and a person, uh, a blind person, blind homeless person on the street doesn't get healed. So you get mad at God. Okay? Well, what gives you the right to get mad at God? Did He direct you? Did He direct you to lay hands on that that blind man? Saying that He would heal that blind man's eyes? And I would say no. Right? He didn't. You can argue generally that scripturally he wants all to be healed but if you function under your own desire under the simple truth that he wants all to be healed guess what you're going to have a lot of disappointments because even you've heard me say this before even a dead clock is right twice a day okay the scripture in principle says he desires all to be healed and if you go lay hands and pray for a hundred people you might see a couple get healed okay but if you sit and wait, and the Lord says, um, I want you to walk into uh, this particular apartment building. I want you to go to uh, room 2I. I want you to knock on the door. There's an old lady in that room. And I want you to pray for her that her money would be multiplied. And before your eyes, she reaches into her pocketbook and $10,000 appears in her pocketbook. Guess what? You are functioning under the key of David. You are under the authority of the Father's voice who speaks into darkness. He actually speaks into darkness. And you, because you know him and obey his voice, you go do it. Okay? That is functioning under the key of David. That is his authority. That's the power of vision. Okay? And so you can know the principle, but you can be disappointed in applying the principle because you negate the direction of the presence of the Lord. That's why you need to be so sensitive. You need to be so sensitive of the dove resting on your shoulder, of the presence of God being with you and what he is saying. Because just because you see, I mean, there's brokenness all around us, guys. This is a dead, dying world. But you can't fix it all. Your, Your heart should be set on obeying Number one, valuing the presence of the Lord so greatly that your supplication, your prayer, you you spend your time in prayer that he may speak to you in ways that teach you his voice. Okay, and when he teaches you his voice, 
you can become confident and bold. Your boldness will not come from all the scripture you know. Boldness is a spiritual impartation. Excuse me, spiritual impartation. Romans 10, 17 says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word word there is the word rhema, right? We've talked about this a lot. The word rhema means the vision, the dream, the now word of God. Okay, and so faith is an impartation from the one who's speaking to you. Okay, you can't have you can't gain faith by memorizing another book in the Bible. That's what the Pharisees did. The Pharisees memorized the first five books of the Bible, and Jesus called them blind serpents, dead men's bones. You were of your father the devil. He called them you. Uh, you called them whitewashed tombs. Right. So it's not about. The, the biblical knowledge you have, it's about the one you spend time with, the one you supplicate to, the one you pray to, the one that you are trained over time, over years in prayer to hear and know his voice. And the more he comes to you in dreams and visions, the more he builds you, the more he equips you. And, number, number, um, and, and the, the ultimate of that relationship is you boldly flow in confidence because the Isaiah twenty twenty yeah the Isaiah twenty two twenty two key of David that rested on Christ's shoulder now rests on your shoulder, okay, and that is the that is the maturing of a body, the 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 you as a believer and the people you lead to to follow suit in dreaming the dream and seeing the vision and prophesying the word of the Lord, okay? That's what the key of David is. And so as, as Jesus, when Jesus was correcting the seven churches um, in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3, when he spoke to the church of Philadelphia, he said um, that they were clothed in, in love. They were clothed in the love of the Holy Spirit, uh, the gifts and supernatural par- prayer to impart the presence of God. So it is the key of David to change the atmosphere, right? I mean, that particular uh, discussion about the Church of Philadelphia talks about um, he who holds the key of David. And and he, he's talking about the relational dynamic of this particular church where the kingdom was present, right? There was there was no correction to the church of Philadelphia, okay? But he goes on to say and emphasize just like he did with the other six churches he corrected, he's in the same in the same breath, he speaks the same correction. If you can hear what the spirit is saying to the churches, why does he do it? Why does he say it? It, to the to the Church of Philadelphia that needed no correction because he's emphasizing the way of authority, which is through the way of relationship, which is through the equipping of the Holy Spirit and a heart cry from sons and daughters who are awakened through prayer, through supplication, through this prayer language that draws the presence of the Lord to rest on you. Okay, so again, it's not what it's not what you it it um, yeah excuse me it's what you carry, it's who you dwell with, not what you know. Okay, and so um, I just want to I just want to spend a few minutes talking about um, you know well people people ask all the time right they 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 ask me about um, 
Well, where's this in the New Testament? Can you explain this in the New Testament? And actually, yeah, I'd, I'd love I'd love to spend some time explaining this concept in the New Testament, because in in John seventeen, as Jesus is preparing, um, you know, this is the end, right? This is in John seventeen. This is Jesus's final prayer for the disciples. This is the last thing he says to them. Okay, as a group. And in John 17, um, verse, uh, what is it, verse 20 here, he says, I do not pray for these alone, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. And the glory which you gave me, I have given them, that they may be one just as we are one. So let's properly define unity, okay? What Jesus is praying here is that they would be aligned spiritually in such a unique way with the Father, just as Jesus was connected in a unified uh, way with the Father through the Holy Spirit, right? So again, how did Jesus do it? John 5.19 says Jesus only did what he saw in vision, what his father was directing him to do, right? So Jesus goes into prayer, he sees visions, and he comes out with clear direction because he heard his father's voice, and he knows exactly where they're going to go, he knows exactly what they're going to do, right? And so unity is a spiritual connection, where you know the Father's voice. You actually seek it with all your heart. You love the Lord your God, all your heart, all your soul, all your might, all your strength, right? And you put prayer as the foremost element of your life. Spiritual prayer. Seeking the Father. That's what Jesus did. He sought the Father every day of his life. Hours. Okay? Hours and hours in prayer right? Read the four Gospels. He spent hours every day. He, he would go into prayer. He'd come out of prayer. Go into prayer. Come out of prayer. Go into prayer. Come out of prayer with direction. So Jesus was unified. He was demonstrated how to be unified spiritually, okay? And that was the, that was the prayer that Jesus just prayed in John 17. I pray that they would be one with you, Father, just as I was one with you, okay? Jesus came to earth he took off his, his heavenly abode. He came to earth to demonstrate relationship. Okay? So unity is a spiritual connection. It's a harmony with the Spirit. You know what the Spirit is saying to the church. You know what the Spirit is saying to you. You know what the Spirit is saying to your family. Okay? Unity is not singing kumbaya and everybody coming around the campfire and getting along. Okay? That's not unity. Unity... Um, is is not five churches coming together uh, to eat hot dogs and sit around the fire and you know just you know glad glad we can all just get along. That may be that may be a beginning stage of something bigger that the Lord may be able to do, but the definition of unity is oneness with the Father. Okay, the correct definition of unity is oneness with the Father. What is oneness with the Father? You go into prayer, whether it's one man, 
20 people in intercession, a whole congregation in intercession. But the purpose is you are gathering to pray to hear what the Lord is saying. Okay. Now, if those five churches get over the stage of coming together and doing uh, an event that, you know, everybody can kind of rub elbows, get to meet, all that kind of stuff. If they can get past that stage and then they can get past a stage where, you know, maybe they feed the homeless together um, and there's there's a good deed, right? They're doing some good deeds. If they get past that stage and the five pastors and let's say the prophetic leaders and intercessions, intercessors from all five churches come together and they begin to pray and they in a unified way hear what the Father is directing all five of them to do together, guess what? They just entered unity. Because together they are hearing God and agreeing, being one in spirit to go do what the Father is leading them to do. That's unity, okay? Just having a meeting to sing Kumbaya and sing a couple songs is not unity, okay? That, that, that's a worship session, but that's not unity, okay? Unity will ultimately end in the execution of purpose, okay? So until you reach the mature stage of having prayed together, hearing, agreeing, and going to do, right? then there, there's, I would argue with you that there's not unity, okay? I am, if I decide I'm not praying and I'm not going to hear God for the next 30 days, guess what? I just stepped out of unity. I stepped out of the, of the oil. Um, I separated myself from the anointing and, and um, seeking after a unified relational dynamic with the Lord where he just tells me to go here, where he tells me to pull back, where he tells me to connect with this group, where he tells me to teach these people. Well, you know, it's directed, okay? So you, you get my point. The point here is that unity, unity um, will always manifest in purpose. And you may argue, um, I'm, I'm going to pull up another scripture here just, just so we can debate this a little further. Ephesians 4.1, it says, it says, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all loneliness, gentleness, with long suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, one Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Okay. Verse three says that endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. What's he saying here? Um, he's talking about being unified according to his prayer in John 17, that you are, you have endeavored to keep the unity of the bond of peace, right? The unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. How, how, if, if you are coming together, okay, let's just describe what's going on here. If you're coming together um, to eat hot dogs, you have five churches coming together. Um, pastors are trying their best. They want to break down walls. They want to get together. And you're eating hot dogs, getting along. We're talking, right? Um, is that unity? I would argue no, okay? Are you in an effort to keep the... Are you in, the, in an effort to keep the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace, um, I think, yeah, that there, there's definitely an effort. But ultimately, p 
purpose is the result of unity, guys. Jesus functioned in purpose, okay, because he was unified with the Spirit. Okay, you can have acquaintances, and I would argue that five churches coming together to eat hot dogs and sing Kumbaya, okay, there, there, there's an intent um, to relate with each other, which is a great thing, right? You, you're trying to start relationships, but there's always friction, guys, with different theologies. And when people can lay down their theologies and rally around actually what is the single theology, which is the giving of the Spirit and being unified um, in the Spirit, in the bond of peace, right? How are you unified in the Spirit? You hear what the Spirit is saying. So five churches come together and they are eating their hot dogs together, um, but they never end up praying and laying down their differences and ultimately agree that they're together going to chase the Holy Spirit, they're going together hear God, and they're going to do and execute and execute the vision of the Lord in purpose, like Jesus did. Guess what? That's not that's not uh, that's not unity. That's an attempt of unity. Okay. And so, you know, I just I just want to emphasize, guys, there is a goal with being unified in the Spirit. The Lord always has purpose, and He will reveal purpose when you hear Him. And so um, the, reason church, uh, the reason church groups split apart is because um, either two groups don't hear God at all, or one group does and the other doesn't, okay? One group hears God, the other, the other hears a different spirit, okay? Um, that doesn't mean that you stop chasing the Lord, that doesn't mean that you stop chasing the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit. That's actually the opposite. Um, the Lord actually divides and separates by those who endeavor uh, to pursue Him versus those who are playing church, uh, those who are who are you know going through the motions. They're they're playing they're playing uh, uh, a form of righteousness but denying the power. Well, guess what? The Lord. What did the Lord do with Gideon's army? Okay? The Lord actually separated people out of Gideon's army for a unified, great purpose to where only God would get the glory. Okay? And so, you know, don't misunderstand people being separated um, as not being God. God separates people all the time. He actually said in Matthew 11, Do not um, uh, think that I came to bring peace, but I came to bring the sword. Okay? The, there, there will be people in your own household, right, that will be separated out. Okay? And so your responsibility is to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace in your own heart. You've got to be at peace with the Father because you know Him. Okay? And and Paul goes on in verse 4. He says, There's one body, one Spirit. Okay? Just as you were called in one hope of your calling. And so this whole concept of denominationalism and different theologies, man... It's you know it it it, it 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 takes away from the simplicity of what Jesus ultimately sent. Okay, Jesus sent the Holy Spirit 
the people would gather in prayer, right? When they gather in prayer, they hear and they execute and the supernatural happens. That's that's the that's the that was the outcome of of the uh, day of Pentecost, right? They came together, 120 in the upper room, chasing and seeking the presence of the Lord. The the tongues of fire came upon them. They poured out into the street, intoxicated in purpose. Okay? The Spirit literally pours them out into the street because they were willing vessels. They were they were waiting and seeking for days, okay? They were waiting and seeking for a long period of time. And when the Spirit came upon them, they were unified. They they literally were all intoxicated and poured into the street and the church was birthed in one day. Thousands of people came into the church because of the outpour of what I would argue as true unification. There wasn't a a denomination over here and a denomination over there and three denominations in the background murmuring and, and saying, well, I don't think this, I don't think that, I don't think this. There wasn't any of that. It was very simple. It was people gathered around the Holy Spirit they became unified in purpose to to chase and wait like the Lord told them to do, right? Luke Luke 24, 49. Wait in the city until I send the promise of the Father upon you. Meaning that you are unified in waiting for the Lord to pour out. You're unified in waiting for, for the Spirit. And so many of these you know, pastoral things where you get into these cities where, you know, you get these new upcoming pastors, everybody gets excited, they want to pull every, they've got these ideas, they want to pull everybody together, but guess what? They're all focused on singing kumbaya and eating hot dogs together rather than coming together, gathering around the fire of God and saying, we're going to pray and we're going to pray and we're going to cry out with supplication until the Lord speaks. And when he speaks, we are going to, in a unified manner, be poured into the street. And we know the Lord will not be stopped because we came with a unified heart Believing what the Lord is saying, and we're going to do it, okay? And so, guys, you know, man, there's so there's so many different um, forms of powerlessness that uh, we accept as normal Christianity, and they all are they are all spun out of lies and ideas that somehow powerlessness. Um, Powerlessness is normal. And I'm here to argue with you that powerlessness is not normal. You cannot be unified with Christ and be powerless. It cannot exist. It, it It cannot be defined in that manner. Okay? Powerlessness is actually the evidence of lies present. Okay? If 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 there's if there is no um if if there's no uh, verification that God is with you. There is no unusual occurrence. There's no um, supernatural thing. There's no um, example that, uh, you know, it is impossible um, without the presence and act of God in this situation. Then what's your God, right? What is what is your God? And, you know, false, false doctrines are something that we have to address, okay? 
Um, you know, some of the more prevalent false doctrines talk about the gifts of the Spirit died with the apostles. What? I mean, think about how stupid that is. Th- think about how, um, first off, let's just, let's just talk about this. The 11 remaining apostles were in the upper room on the day of Pentecost, right? And those 11 um, apostles um, were not the ones that wrote the majority of the New Testament. Years, right? Years later. I think it was close to a decade later after Pentecost, the, the, uh, you know, the Pharisee um, Saul is running around the city killing Christians and all of a sudden, Jesus shows up on Damascus Road and Saul sees the light. Saul's knocked off his donkey, gets baptized in the Holy Ghost, right? The prophet Ananias lays his hand on him. Scales fall off his eyes, which is a symbol of demonic um, theology, demonic um, presence, right? The scales literally fall off his eyes and and Saul becomes Paul because Jesus himself baptized him in the Holy Spirit. And and Paul writes the New Testament um, documenting his supernatural exploits going around the world and preaching Christ, meaning that, Christ, that the true meaning of preaching Christ is not regurgitating Scripture, okay? Paul went into the world and he demonstrated the kingdom, okay? He literally demonstrated the kingdom. Paul actually wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 um, that, the, uh, that the kingdom of God is not um, in word only, but in power. Okay? I think it's verse 20. It's not in word only, but in power. Right? And so Paul was not one of the original apostles. Okay? So, number one, there are many apostles... Even today, there are apostles, okay? There are men called, the word apostle is a builder. It's, a, it's, it's one who actually executes the strategy of Christ to build his church, okay? And so the gifts of the Spirit are actually just the voice. It's actually a, a symbolic of the voice of God in the Spirit, meaning the, the Spirit is present and the voice is what's directing the people, Okay? And so if you if you think the gifts died, man, somebody's been feeding you a lie, okay? Somebody has been 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 feeding feeding you a, a very um deceivingly uh false doctrine, right? Because um apostles or actually the concept of thinking that um when the apost- the original apostles died, uh you know, that some somehow it all ended. You didn't need the Holy Ghost after that. I mean, come on, man. Are you are you kidding me? Um, Paul, who was uh, called as an apostle of Christ, at least a decade after the original twelve that were selected, um, in in Acts chapter nineteen, verse uh, one through seven, Paul is going through the region of Ephesus. He comes across twelve. Um, men who begin to talk to Paul, and they basically acknowledge that they were uh, they were baptized in repentance, 
but they were never baptized in Christ, meaning they never received the power of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says, well, you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to receive Christ as your Savior, and Christ will send upon you the Holy Spirit. And they say, yeah, we want to do that, okay? Verse 7 um, of, of Acts 19, um, it says that they also prayed in tongues and prophesied, okay? Okay, now think about this, guys. If, if, <laughs> if this happens in Acts chapter 19, which is decades after the crucifixion and the original 11 apostles, explain that to me, okay? That the whole theology that the gifts of the Spirit died, um, that all gets blown out of the water um, in the stories in the book of Acts where Paul is literally going um, from region to region, laying hands on people, getting them baptized in the Holy Spirit, which is the baptism of Christ, okay? Paul says in Acts chapter 19, he says, have you been baptized in Christ? And they say, we have not received, right, the Holy Spirit. So the baptism of Christ is the giving of the Holy Spirit. It's the equipping of power, okay? And so, man, I mean, I could go on all night. Um, I, I just, I, I just want to emphasize this point with you guys um, that if you don't function in power, you need to lay down what you're doing. You need to begin to pray like a wild man, fast and pray. Um, in the story of uh, in in Mark chapter nine, um, when the when the disciples could not cast the demon out of the boy. Um, you know, Jesus comes down the mountain. The the father begs Jesus, you know, deliver my boy. Jesus casts the demon out, and secretly, um, the the apostles ask Jesus, why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said, this kind only comes out by prayer and fasting. And so my point here, guys, is um, the disciples were functioning in a principle. Okay, up until this point. That, you know, Jesus had given them power to pray for people, okay? A lot of people got healed, a lot of people didn't. Acts, or, or Mark, Mark chapter 9 is an evidence of a boy so demonized that a general, um, a general position given to the disciples, or, or in this case the apostles, having authority to cast out demons, they could not cast it out. And Jesus points to a higher form of relationship, okay? Jesus points to his form of relationship, which is you go into pray, you fast, you seek the Lord. He ultimately will come to you with secret information, and you then release his authority, okay? The difference, guys, is Jesus was explaining that he cast the demon out of the boy in Mark chapter 9, because of prayer and fasting, meaning that he had authority. The Father spoke to him specifically about what he was dealing with, okay? And so um, I just want to encourage you guys um, that if that uh, no matter where you're at, there should, you should not take on any condemnation, but we should be um, motivated 
to find all that Christ has for us. And prayer and fasting is a is a supernatural connection point with the Lord. If you don't dedicate your life uh, to praying in tongues on a daily basis, I encourage you, pray in tongues at least an hour a day. Set your clock. It is the most important thing you can do. It is the most important thing that any Christian can do. The most important thing a Christian can do is not put money in a bucket on Sunday. It's not um, going to church on Sunday. It's not um, feeding the homeless. It's not going to any of those things. Those, those all become meaningless acts, symbols. Paul calls them gongs, right? It's the sound of a gong if you don't have the presence of love, if you don't have God himself present in your life and him leading you, okay? You can do all the acts you want functioning out of a principle, but if you are sent with secret information, specifically according to the presence of God, to a place, a time, to a person, to do a specific thing, guess what? You are functioning in authority. And that is how powerlessness is eradicated, guys. You want to you eradicate powerless, powerlessness in your life? You learn, you actually become disciplined in your prayer life. You become disciplined in... Um, fasting. You become disciplined in chasing down the Lord. You become disciplined in deciding you are not going to fear and allow fear to rule your life, but you are going to give your heart to God himself. No matter what's going on around your life, you are giving your heart to the Lord himself um, with an intent to pray that he would hear you, that you would pray in tongues and cry out and supplicate to him. And he, he, he um, as I've explained in many, many of these sessions, he promises to look your way and, and that he would flow into your life. He would, he would release his visions and dreams into your life. And so, guys, um, I just, I pray for you all. I pray for everybody listening right now, no matter what you're struggling with, no matter what you're, no matter what you're facing. Um, I pray in every way that you've been deceived by religion, that uh, the scales would fall off of your eyes, that all of those meaningless acts, that all of those meaningless principles um, would just fall off of your heart right now. And that you would chase after the Lord with a burning heart, that you would chase um, the Father uh, Son and Holy Spirit so profoundly um, that you would pray without ceasing, that you would um, pray in tongues in such a manner that the Lord would show up in your life and that you would tangibly feel the presence of God. I take authority over all the every demonic uh, assignment against your life, every curse that has blinded your heart, hardened your heart, or, or kept you bound, shackled, chained, or imprisoned, uh, or even broken in any manner. I break those lies. I rip that junk off of you in Jesus' name. And I just release a passion upon you right now that you would pray without ceasing. And the Lord would make you a supernatural force on the earth. You would be poured out into the street. And, and um, the world may think that you are intoxicated, but you would rise up. And you would say that I am not drunk as you suppose, but I'm intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. I've been touched by God himself. And I pray, guys, that as that happens, the power and the supernatural miracles, the stories that I tell in, the, in these episodes, the one I told today about just walking into a building 
and having a hundred people get baptized in the Holy Ghost without even preaching um, because it was the answer of their heart cry to God. And somehow I get sent from the other side of the world to walk into this specific place to see this miracle happen. Uh, I, I just I impart that grace upon you right now. I impart um, years of prayer, years of prayer, two hours a day, three hours a day, four hours a day, that you would pray without ceasing and that you would watch the presence of God do supernatural miracles in your life, in your family, in your city, and to the nation that you are called to. I release that grace upon you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, guys, you have a good one, and I'll see you next time. Amen. Thank you for joining this week's episode of the School of the Holy Spirit. For more information or to request David at your church or conference, please go to davidcuppet.org, D-A-V-I-D-C-U-P-P-E-T-T dot O-R-G, or fivestoneministries.org. You can also find the School of the Holy Spirit podcast on iTunes, Spotify, and Charisma Magazine. For a deeper dive into the Holy Spirit, we encourage you to purchase David's new book entitled Wisdom-Filled Warriors, available on Amazon. We pray that you will encounter the Holy Spirit in a transforming way and become all that Christ has prophesied over your life.